0: Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. All right, we're going to be in Philippians uh, this morning, Philippians three ten through 16. Last week we were in uh, verses 1 through 11, and uh, so we're going to actually be covering verses 10 and 11 again this morning uh, because they kind of serve as a bit of a hinge verse. Um, in, in our passage and in, in really in Philippians 3. Last week, um, as I kind of alluded to earlier, we, we kind of focused on uh, the, the confidence that we can have before God um, on the day of judgment, and, and where are we placing that confidence? And, and the Apostle Paul, as he's discussing this, really kind of says, hey, I, I've tried everything, I, I've, I've done all of the, the good things uh, it, that you would expect um, that, that someone who is a religious person to do. And uh, they're, they're really good things. I, I, I earnestly desired to know God. I, I practiced all of these, uh, kept all of these religious practices. And at the end of the day, the Apostle Paul says that this amounted me nothing. That everything that I counted as gain, I actually now count as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 1 through 11 is a very powerful passage. We see the Apostle Paul's heart on display in a very real way. He's kind of describing his, his conversion. He's describing how God has been at work and, and transforming his, his viewpoints from putting his confidence in the things that he does and instead now in, in Jesus Christ alone. And I don't know about you, but as I read that passage, those verses, it is really easy to, to read through Philippians 3, 1 through 11 and to reach the conclusion that, man, this is a person who's arrived. This is a person who has it all figured out. This is a person who, who has all of their ducks in a row that, that, man, if I could be like someone, it'd be like the Apostle Paul because I don't see anything wrong with him. Now, that makes me think of, of, of a time um, shortly after my conversion, after I, I became a Christian. I was a high schooler. Um, I, was, I was in a Bible study with a number of other high schoolers. And, and uh, this was about two or three months after I had become a Christian. And uh, we had our large group discussion, and then we also, then after that we broke into to some, some small discussion groups uh, where we'd walk through a couple questions. And one of the questions that got asked was, what are some areas of your life that you have not given over to the Lord Jesus and given him control over? And, and as you would expect with a bunch of high school students, there's a, there's a lot of awkward silence there because that's a really hard question to answer. It's a really important question for us to answer. Uh, but it's a really hard question to answer, and so there's this awkward silence there, and and I remember thinking, all right, the last two to three months of my life as I've been a Christian have been incredibly transformative. That I have I have gone from really zero to to sixty in, in like no time flat. In that short span, like my zeal for the Lord was was white hot. I, I think I read through the the entire Bible for the first time in those two to three months. Uh, I was passionate about sharing my faith. I was passionate about prayer, and, and uh, I, I felt pretty good about myself. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go ahead and take a stab, even though I'm the, the youngest Christian in this group, I'm going to go ahead and answer. And so the question, of course, like I, I said, is what are some areas of your life that you think like you need to, to surrender control to the Lord? What are those? And I remember <laughs> saying, I don't think there's anything. I think I got this pretty pretty figured out I, I'm serving in churches as, as much as I, I possibly can uh, Jesus has has taken really control of my life. I love him, he loves me um, I don't swear anymore i I, I, I help out whenever I, I can I, I I read my Bible I pray a lot I, I think I'm pretty good and as you would expect, there's this new awkward silence that that comes up it's not because people are uncomfortable sharing they just don't know how to tell Jordan that he's completely. Um, unaware of himself and of his sin. Uh, but but thankfully, one of the people in that group, um, he, he had been investing in me, he had been pouring into me uh, for the three months before that, and uh, he didn't just give up on me. Uh, and he didn't make me feel like a terrible person either. He didn't say, well, Jordan, I know your life pretty well. What about that? And just hit me in all of these areas of struggle. Uh, he, he simply just graciously said, hey, thanks, Jordan. Um, here are some areas where I struggle. And he used himself as kind of a mirror for my own struggles and my own life. And he said, hey, you know what, Jordan? I, I'm someone uh, who, who struggles a lot with, with selfishness. There are many times where I, I think of myself or put myself uh, in front of others. Uh, I, I am a very competitive person, and, and that, is, that is not a, a good thing many times. He said, hey, there are a lot of times where I'm serving, and, and uh, I'm doing it from impure motives. I, I want people to notice me. I, I want to make... Uh, other people think that i'm a good person frankly i want god to think i'm a good person and he goes on and on and on and on and on and lists all of these things and i remember as as he lists all of these different areas i'm like oh that's true of me and that is too and that is too and i and i came away from that conversation just thinking to myself man i i got a long way to go and that's a lot like this morning's text Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, Paul just lays it out and says, hey, this is my heart's desire. This is my passion. And it'd be really easy for us if we didn't have 12 through 16 to think, I can't even relate to this guy. This is someone who who doesn't have any issues, doesn't have any struggle, doesn't have any problem. And then we get to 12 through 16, and, and Paul says, I haven't yet obtained perfection. I haven't yet attained every single thing that I long for in my spiritual walk. And, and he, he, he says, yes, I, I am a mature believer on the one hand, but, but also at the same time, that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. And this morning's passage is really just a question. It's really important for us to, to reflect upon our own lives, and it gives us the tools to do so, to ask ourselves, am I a maturing Christian? Notice I say maturing Christian, even though the, the title of this sermon is, Am I a Mature Christian? Because I, I think that that's important. Like, it's really hard to say, yes, I'm a mature Christian, and that's a static word. But am I a maturing Christian? Am I making progress in the faith? Am I moving toward Christ-likeness? Is really what Paul is concerned with here. And he looks at his own life, and, and he can confidently say, yes, I am mature. Yes, I have done this, but that doesn't mean I stay put. I continue to pursue, but continue to seek after progress. It, it's significant. If you look at that story that I just uh, shared about myself, um, remember, I, I'm two or three months into the Christian faith at this point, and I thought that I had arrived, that I, that I had everything pretty much figured out. But notice how the Apostle Paul describes what it really looks like to be mature in verse 15. He says this, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And we'll come back to what this way means. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul says that there is a certain way that all mature Christians, regardless of where you're from, regardless of how old you may be, regardless of what year you live in, whether it's Philippi in 60 AD or today in 2020, that there are some characteristics that all of us share in common. In contrast, there are those who are not mature in their faith who do not think this way. And I've kind of shown you um, one of the the things just based off of that story I told from from my own self. Is There are certain things that that immature Christians will think about themselves or that they will be ignorant to that Paul says, hey, the mature should be thinking this way, and if you're not there, then pursue this type of mindset. In this passage, Paul lays out what that mindset is. He lays out this is how you should think as a mature believer. gives us uh, really the opportunity to reflect upon our own lives and kind of gives us a a list of questions to do a self-assessment. And really, if we were to sum up what it means to be a mature Christian, I think we could put it simply this way. Christian maturity is concerned with knowing Jesus and doing whatever it takes to know him more. Christian maturity is concerned with knowing Jesus and doing whatever is necessary in order to know him more. What does it look like for us to be a mature Christian? Well, that's what Paul describes. He looks at his own life and and he he says, this is how, how maturity looks in my life. And we're going to walk our way through this text. We're going to look at his own self-reflection. Keep that question at the back of your mind. Am I a mature Christian? Am I a maturing Christian? And as we work our way through this text, we'll see five marks of maturity in the faith. So we'll, uh, let's go ahead and jump into to God's word. Before we do that, I want to pray for us um, this morning. Father, we, uh, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through it. Um, it is such a good gift that we have a God who speaks. A God who has not left us alone to try to figure out how to please you, how to to find you, but you have revealed to us in your word the path. And so we just say thank you for that. We thank you for Jesus. We ask uh, now that your Holy Spirit would be present with us, that you would uh, speak to each and every one of us. Give us eyes to see our own hearts that you would reveal to each and every one of us, whether we're mature in the faith or or whether we are immature. But in every situation, in every case, God, I do ask that you would help us to pursue you and to make progress in the faith. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, verse 10 and 11. I mentioned we're going to look at these two verses again. Uh, Verses 10 and 11 kind of give us one of Paul's lifelong goals. And this isn't like some sort of missionary goal or or some sort of task or, or, or initiative that he is pursuing. This is something that's very personal for the Apostle Paul. This isn't about his ministry. This is what he, as a believer, wants in his own spiritual walk. He says this in verses 10 and 11. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is kind of the guiding compass of the Apostle Paul's life. If you were to boil down uh, the the key focus of his life that that he uses to consider every single action that he takes, every single initiative that he goes on, every, every thought, every endeavor is just considered through these two verses. And we don't have time to cover all of the different phrases here. This is a very rich two verses. I just want to focus on on two things, two phrases from this verse or from these two verses that are that are crucial to understand his goal. First one is this, that I may know him. That I may know him. This is Paul's chief concern as a, a Christian. It's just to know Jesus, Remember in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is is talking about how he's he's in this season of uncertainty. And in this season of uncertainty, he's not sure if he's going to live or if he's going to be put to death, if he's going to be freed, or if he's going to remain in prison for the sake of the gospel. And notice how he concludes, or what conclusion he reaches in the midst of this uncertainty. It says this, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul is is 30 years into his Christian walk at this point, and he says that his sole concern is to know Jesus. That's not to say that he doesn't know Jesus, but he wants to continue to get to know Jesus more and more and more. Paul's knowledge of Jesus, his intimacy, his relationship with Jesus has grown over those past 30 years. Remember, he was a persecutor of the church when we first are introduced with him. Uh, introduced to him, and now he's one of its greatest missionaries, and yet he still says, I want to know Jesus more and more and more. His knowledge of Jesus is really like a handful of water. In the depths of the ocean, there's, there's endless depths for him to explore in this knowledge and this relationship with Jesus, and his heart's desire for his spiritual life, really the compass that guides him in every act that he takes, is simply to know Jesus more and more. So that's the first phrase. The second phrase is this, that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I may attain the resurrection of the dead. What exactly does Paul mean here? And one of the ways that you can read this is, okay, now we begin to see Paul's, um, uh, we begin to see Paul's true motives here. We begin to see that, okay, Yeah, Paul wants to know Jesus, but but really what he wants to do is he wants to escape death. He wants to to live forever. He wants eternal life. And that is his primary motivation. Is that really true, though? Well, if we read the rest of the passage in context, of course it isn't. Paul's primary concern is knowing Jesus. Resurrection is not the chief end. He, He recognizes at the same time that He cannot know Jesus forever. He can't continue to know Jesus. He can't be united with Jesus. He can't have communion with Jesus unless he is resurrected from the dead. Death will stop him from reaching his main primary goal, and that is to know Jesus more. Knowing Jesus is not the means to the end of eternal life. Eternal life is the means to the end of knowing Jesus. And that's where we see the first mark of spiritual maturity, Christian maturity. And that's a really important distinction here. This isn't talking about uh, eternal life as the end goal. Jesus is the end goal. And Paul says, my primary focus of of my entire life is to know Jesus and to know him forevermore. To know Jesus, to know him forevermore. Focus of Christian maturity is Jesus. It's not eternal life. It's not that Jesus is the ticket that gets us in the door and we can throw it away once we're done. No, the means to the end, the end is Jesus, the means may be eternal life, not the other way around. And our view of Jesus and our view of eternal life, our view of heaven, it can be a really helpful indicator of our maturity in the faith. What is the primary end? What is the primary goal for us as believers? If our primary end and goal is eternal life and not Jesus, that shows a lack of maturity. But if our primary end is Jesus, and increasingly is Jesus, then it shows that we are maturing in the faith. Are we maturing believers? Let's keep looking. Paul gives us a, a second mark, because uh, he recognizes that he has not arrived. Um, and that's a good thing for us, because uh, his passion is not something that's unattainable for us. It's something that, that we also can, can cultivate in our own lives. So take a look at verses 12. And 13. Not that I have already obtained this or am already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And then he continues on, and we're going to um, pause right there for a few moments. So, Paul recognizes that in spite of being a Christian for 30 years and in spite of being a missionary for the church for 30 years, that he is far from perfect. Romans chapter 7, Paul acknowledges that he has his own shortcomings, that he has his own weaknesses, his own brokenness. He describes his own self like this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Notice this humble recognition from the Apostle Paul here. Paul recognizes that he is not perfect. He, he recognizes his shortcomings. He recognizes his failures. And that is essential for Christian maturity. That's the second mark of Christian maturity from our passage. An increasing awareness of our own sin. Some, some Christian traditions teach this idea of perfectionism. That perfection is something that is possible in, this, in, the, in, in the Christian's life before we reach glory. And as I look at the testimony of Scripture, I just don't see how that balances. I don't see how that reconciles with the testimony of what we see in the Bible. The picture of the Christian life, what I see in Scripture, is not one of perfection, but it is one of progress. Now, I'll just be completely candid with you. There's a challenge if perfection is something that is possible in this life, then it is a really great motivator to pursue perfection. One of the um, one of the earliest heresies in in the Christian Church was by a guy named um, Pelagius. All right, so this is the three hundreds, and uh, Pelagius he was a he was a wonderful person, a person that you would really want to be around, very moral, and he was concerned that there was a lot of debauchery in the church, and so he concluded. Actually, he denied the gospel with the hopes of making people better people. He said, Okay, well, well, we don't believe fully in grace. We believe that we can contribute to our own salvation. Now his his motivation may have been right. He wanted people to live in a godly way, but he completely denied the gospel. Now that kind of that kind of gets to, to something that's a challenge for us. Because if we look at this passage and we see that that we are increasingly aware of our own sinfulness, we're increasingly aware of our own brokenness, we can get to, our, to a crossroads in life. And there are two temptations that really will face us in that moment of crossroads. The first one is this, that we can have a temptation to just, be, uh, to, to just resign to the fact that we are never going to reach perfection in this life. That I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay because God is going to love us anyway. And this is a very real temptation from people who, who claim the name of, of Jesus. And, and, and to, to be completely honest with you, I've seen this temptation or this tension in my own life, this idea of, okay, I know what I should do, but at the end of the day, God's going to take care of me anyway. And this is a temptation, a temptation to resignation, this idea that, that we don't have to work all that hard. We don't have to pursue holiness because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter will never be perfect anyway. Is that what we see from the Apostle Paul here? No, not at all. Paul says, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect. So why bother? No, that's not what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I'm not perfect. I'll never be perfect, but... I know that my communion with God, my relationship with Jesus, knowing Jesus is hindered by my brokenness and sin, so I will do anything that I can to get rid of that because knowing Jesus is the most important thing to me. And I recognize that I might not be perfect, but I will make progress because I can know him better than I do right now. And that's what matters most to the apostle Paul. See, the reality is for Christians, sin might not affect our salvation, but it will affect our communion with God. It doesn't affect our, our salvation, but it will affect our communion with God. How, how well we interact with God. And our response to our sin goes a whole long way in revealing to each and every one of us our maturity. Are we just content to resign ourselves to our sin or will we pursue holiness so that we can have a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus, that we can know him more. This is what Paul is talking about in the second half of verse 12. Verse 12, he tells us this, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. That's the first temptation, this idea of resignation. There's a second temptation, and that is the temptation of looking at our resume. As we become more and more and more aware of, of our sin in our lives, it can be easy to be discouraged. And from that place of discouragement, instead of looking forward, we can begin to look back and say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm not moving forward as fast as I, I once was, but, but look at all the things I've accomplished in the past. Look at, look at all of the good things that I've done. Look at how God has, has changed me. And, and it's not a bad thing to rejoice over how God has been at work in the past, but it is a bad thing to take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to look backward and say, okay, this is where I place my confidence and my trust. Throughout this passage, Paul uses this imagery of a race. He's describing a race. He, he considers the Christian life multiple times, actually, in his letters. He uses athletic imagery. And, and he describes the, the, uh, the Christian life like it's a race, and, and runners are, are running for the finish line. And in a race, you should never look back. You should, what's the purpose of looking back in a race, especially a shorter race? If you are in the midst of a 100-meter dash and you spend half of your time looking back and saying, hey, look how far I've come, you're not going to, you're not going to get very far. You're, you're not going to go as fast as you possibly can. You're not supposed to admire where you've come, or where you come from and how far you've gone, but instead continue to keep your eyes on the prize on the finish line. And the Apostle Paul says the exact same thing is true here. In the race to, to Jesus, there, there's no point in looking back. We can, we can build off the past. We can rejoice over the past. But if our gaze is fixed on the past rather than on Jesus, then we will stumble and we will fall. Uh, earlier this week, I, I became aware of a, um, a new album that was released by um, one of my favorite Christian artists, Shane and Shane. And uh, this new album is called Vintage. And uh, Randy and I were actually talking about vintage as a relative term. Um, when they mean vintage, they, they record all of these songs from like the early 2000s, which is when I became a Christian. And, uh, and it was really neat when I first started listening to this. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can, I can sing of your love forever, Awesome God, Ancient of Days. These are songs that I'm familiar with, and they bring me back to those moments when I first became a believer, and those were the songs that we did. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it would be wrong for me to go from that place to a place of saying, man, I wish we had the good old days. I wish that, that things were exactly the way they were back then. Because that's not helpful. The focus should be on Jesus, on the finish line, on the goal. Uh, Philippians 3.13, Paul says exactly this. He says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Mature Christians should be increasingly aware of their sin, but we have to ask, is that going to lead us to resignation? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. Is it going to lead to us just relying on our our past accomplishments, being content with how far Jesus has brought us, and not saying, well, we need to keep pressing on to know him more? Or, like the Apostle Paul, will it spur us to greater growth in the gospel? How we respond to that goes a long way in showing what kind of believer we are. If we are maturing, if we are making progress, or if we have stagnated. Are you a mature Christian? Verse uh, 14, we see a third mark of maturity. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here we see that Paul is he's just zealous in his pursuit of Christian maturity. He basically says, I'm going to do whatever is necessary to attain the goal. That's really the, uh, the third mark, to attain the goal. I will do whatever is necessary. Notice how verse 14 is the culmination of verses 12 through 14. So verse 10, verse 11, Paul lists his goal. He, his goal is to know Jesus and, and to know him forevermore. And then in verse 12, he, he starts to say, Oh, I'm not there yet. And then the second half of verse 12, he says, I press on to make it my own. Notice that language, make it my own. And then he says something really fascinating uh, later in in verse 12, which we'll come to later. But then in verse 13, he says it again. I have not yet made it my own. This is something that I do not yet possess, that that I have not reached the finish line, that I have not yet reached the goal. And so if he has not yet reached the goal of fully knowing Jesus, what will he do? Well, verses 13 and 14 give us the answer. But one thing I do, this is the the one focus of of the Apostle Paul's life. One thing I do, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's concern, his, his zealous pursuit here is to know Jesus, to know him forevermore. And rather just than just resigning to, to where he is and, and not going any further, Paul opens up his life and says, hey, I'm an open book God. And, and I, I know that you know my heart better than I ever will. And you know that there are certain things that are blocking me from a deeper relationship, a deeper communion with you. And so if you would just reveal that to me, I promise that I will throw it in the garbage. I will count it as lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Stated positively, it's the exact same thing. Jesus, if there is something that I can be doing that I am not doing right now, reveal it to me and I will do it so that I can know you more. There's a really interesting parallel that isn't picked up in our English verses here. And that is, um, if you look, I think it's uh, Philippians 3.6. Paul is talking about persecuting the church. Uh, And I don't know if it's six exactly, but earlier in this passage in Philippians 3, he's talking about persecuting the church. And, And that word there, persecutor of the church, is the exact same word that Paul uses here when he says, I will press on to know Jesus. Isn't that just a fascinating parallel here? That this man who once pursued the church with a passion to extinguish it, now says, I will pursue Jesus with such a passion so that I can know him more and I will do whatever it takes to get to know Jesus fully. What about us? Are we willing to say the exact same thing as the Apostle Paul? Is there something that's prohibiting us from having a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus? And are we willing, like the Apostle Paul, to throw it in the garbage? Or is there something that we are not doing, that we could start doing so that we have a deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus? Are we willing to take that step? Are we willing to pursue that endeavor? Or are we just happy, content with where we are? Again, how we respond to this goes a long way to show what type of believer we are. Are we maturing? Are we making progress? Or are we content with where we are? Fourth, Mark uh, is found in verse fifteen. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. We we've already touched on on these verses, um, kind of at the beginning of our time. This is kind of Paul saying, "Hey, I've reached this conclusion that, that everyone who is a mature believer has this in common." These are things that all, all mature believers think, and it doesn't matter uh, where you're from. It doesn't matter um, your, your background, your past, how old you are, um, what, what age you live in. It can be the first century or the 21st century. These are, what, these are things that, that mature believers have in common. But I want to focus on, on something else that he says, and that's the second part of this verse. Notice that Paul says, if, any, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. What exactly does Paul mean by that? Well, it seems seems like this is what he's saying. Okay, this is what it means to be a mature Christian. You have this goal, like the Apostle Paul, that, that you recognize that you are not perfect like the Apostle Paul, that you will commit to pursuing that deeper relationship with the Lord Jesus like the Apostle Paul. And if in anything you think otherwise... So there are some people who are Christians, who, who are believers, who do not yet think that way, that are, are not mature in their faith. And he says, God will reveal that also to you. Well, how exactly will God reveal that to you? The answer is found in verse 17. Verse 17, which will, um, Pastor Kurt will lead us through next week. Uh, verse 17 says this, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. How does an immature believer become a mature believer? Well, Paul tells us right here that if you take the assessment of verses 10 through 14 and you reach this conclusion, it's like, oh, I got a long way to go. Maybe I'm not as mature as I once thought I was. The Apostle Paul says that you should find someone who is mature and follow them. I love the way the Apostle Paul just doesn't have time for for false humility. He he doesn't say, well, no one should follow me because I don't really have this thing figured out, I'm not perfect. Paul recognizes he's not perfect, but he also at the same time recognizes that he does... And have maturity, that he is a mature believer. In 1 Corinthians, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. I got my eyes fixed on Jesus. You follow me, and you're going to end up with Jesus too. If you follow me, you're going to see my lifestyle. You're going to see my habits. You're going to see my patterns of life. That will show you how to become a mature believer. And really, this is the fourth mark of maturity. As Christians, we should be following those who are more mature than us, And we should be helping and investing in those who are less mature. This is what maturity looks like according to the gospel. It's looking to and continuing to grow by by imitating the lives of those who are more mature than us and also recognizing that my growth in Christ is not just for myself, but instead it is to help others. And to bring them along as well. To recognize that God allows other people to really put flesh on on what it looks like to be a Christian in the 21st century. In, In here, in Spencer, Iowa. What exactly does it look like to follow Jesus? How do I serve in the church? How do I use my money? How do I interact with my spouse or my coworkers? How do I do all of these things? Those are things that we can learn from other believers who are mature. And we can show those things to those who are less mature. So ask yourself again, are you a maturing believer? Are you looking to those that are are more mature than you? And are you looking back to see how you can help those who are less mature than you? Paul closes with a warning, verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul reaches the end of this section and he just gives a simple warning. Don't grow complacent. Don't grow complacent. Don't rest on, don't rely on past accomplishments. Keep moving forward. Because here's the reality. The Christian life, I I love this imagery. A, a, A pastor used this and it's really stuck with me. The Christian life is like being on a boat going upstream. What happens if you are paddling upstream and then you stop paddling? You begin to go back downstream, right? You begin to go with the current. You begin to go with the flow. And that's the exact same thing that takes place in our Christian life. When we grow complacent, we follow the, the, the pattern of the world. We follow the flow of the world. We don't stay There's no such thing as staying put. We're either pursuing Jesus or we are sliding backwards. And the Apostle Paul says, do not grow complacent, but continue to pursue him. Christian maturity is singularly concerned with knowing Jesus and doing whatever is necessary to know him more. And we see that on display in Paul's life In these verses, that Paul is someone, his goal is to know Jesus and to know Jesus forevermore. That Paul is someone who knows that he's not perfect, but he is making progress. That Paul is is concerned with, with just pursuing the Lord Jesus and doing whatever is necessary. Whatever the Spirit says, hey, cut that out of your life or add this to your life so that you can know Jesus more. He says, I'll do it. He's investing in others, and, and he's looking forward to the Lord Jesus, and he's not growing complacent. What about us? What about us? Are we maturing believers? Uh, I'll be honest. As, as I work through this text, it's a really good one, but it's also... um kind of a dangerous one and here's here's what i mean by that last week we looked at verses one through eleven verses one through eleven are all about this idea that there is nothing we can do to earn our salvation nothing we can do to to earn our status before god that to to place our confidence in any place else other than the lord jesus is completely useless it's folly And it can be really easy to see this passage and the charge from the Apostle Paul's life to press on to know Jesus, to do whatever is necessary to know Jesus more and to take our eyes off of Jesus and begin to shift our eyes downward and begin to think, okay, now I'm a mature Christian. Now I'm a mature believer because I'm doing this and this and this and this, and I'm not doing that, or that, or that. Is there a dissonance here between this passage and the one that comes before it? And the answer, of course, is no. Um, There's two phrases in this passage I just want to highlight. First one, verse 14. Notice how Paul describes the prize of knowing Jesus more describes it as the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's the thing that separates the Christian faith from nebulous spirituality, from from a religiosity. That's what makes our discussion this morning about Christian maturity and not just, um, you know, being a spiritually mature person. It's, It's that God is the one who initiates the call. God is the one who who calls us. We do not merit our our own way to God. We respond to the grace of the gospel. God calls, we respond, not the other way around. That's the first phrase. The second phrase is one that's even more powerful to me. It's um, Paul's motivation for Christian maturity in verse 12. His motivation in verse 12. So let's go ahead and throw verse 12 up. I press on to make it my own, okay? So I pursue this goal of knowing Jesus and doing whatever it takes to know Jesus. I pursue this goal. I press on to make it my own because that will earn my status before God. No, that's not what he says. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has already made Paul his own. And Paul looks at that reality, that truth that he has been brought into the family of God, and he says, it would be absolutely nonsensical. It would be completely off target if I were to just say, okay, I'll see you in 60 years or so. Paul says, if you have... Laid hold of me and called me your own, then I will do whatever I can to pursue this relationship with you and make you my own. Christian maturity is singularly concerned with knowing Jesus and doing whatever it takes to know him more. Are you mature? Are you maturing in the faith? Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would give us eyes to see. This is really a passage of self-examination. And I, I know there's a lot here for each and every one of us, regardless of where we're at. God, I ask that you would um, help us to not feel condemnation if, if the evidence of this passage... Um, reveals that we're not mature. I pray that we would not, honestly, that we would not look back at at all of the wasted time. But we would simply look forward. God, help us, through your Spirit, to grow. Help us to become more like you, knowing that sin might not take away our salvation, but it does take away our communion with you. Let us be a people that, just like the Apostle Paul, make knowing you more, now and forevermore, the goal of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.